Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your children, and your partner. We are going to give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. This is Felicia Allen. I'm a social media marketer, writer, and mom to three boys, ages five, three, and two. And I'm Terilyn Griffin, an English professor turned stay-at-home mom to four kids, ages 11, 9, 5, and 3. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you, our awesome listeners. Let's find the magic together. Hey, everybody. I have a high five today, and that is humor. We are, again, for those listening at different times, we are in March of 2020, which is right in the middle of the coronavirus or or COVID-19 pandemic. And (laughs) guys, I feel like as a society, honestly, I mean, like I'm lacking in some serious survival skills. (laughs) Most of us are probably. I know there are people out there who could like forage for their own food, but I can't like my ancestors probably survive on my own. But wow, as a society, we are like nailing the humor department. So I'm glad we've evolved into really like capitalizing on this situation. (laughs) The memes right now are cracking me up. And my, so my favorite, I have a new favorite every day, but my favorite today is what I thought my apocalypse outfit would look like. And it's like this lady, like in this like war leather, like. It's like Mad Max. Yeah, like an amazing outfit. And then it says, what my apocalypse outfit really looks like. And it's this lady in a robe, you know, <laughs> just sitting there. We're all just in our houses, like, with our, in our like, pajamas, eating our second desserts. Anyway, it's so funny. And then I've also seen really funny ones about people's daily schedules, about, like, I have my... Because I think a lot of us are trying to grasp for something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're just feeling scared. And so what can you reach out for? And for a lot of people, they end up reaching for food, which we've talked about, you know. <laughs> It's probably not the healthiest choice to use it as your emotional, you know, uh, binky. But but I've loved, there's this one meme that it was like, you know, wake up, check my social media, eat my first breakfast with breakfast dessert, do a little online work, come back, eat my mid-morning dessert, then come back at 11, eat my bag of chips. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so funny. Like, for a lot of... And so, as I said that, that sounded really judgmental what I was saying before. What I'm saying is, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Whatever people are doing, and they're sharing it. And I think it's so, so, so funny. so funny. But, wow. I'm just loving that, like, humor, I think, is a very healthy release. We're, we're talking... You know what I mean? Like, if you're talking about grasping, trying to grasp onto mm-hmm. something humor I think is an awesome one and anyway I am like loving 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 the humor so share with us any other humor you have because the more I can laugh the better me and my husband we found ourselves like instead of watching like our normal shows (laughs) we're like watching stand-up comedy because it feels so good to laugh Mm -hmm. when you do have a lot of emotions going through you fear and stuff so anyway so high five to (laughs) humor in general but specifically corona humor it's Awesome. And whoever's making all of these, I am seriously every night. I see like five, just more that are cracking me up. My favorite is the right now is the um when you see me this summer, just know that gyms were closed during Easter candy season. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I'm like the Reese's eggs really are calling to me this this pandemic. <laughs> oh, I'm loving oh, I love it. Love it. All right, so my high five is also one positive thing that I've found in 
self-isolation. And that is, we've been doing just at-home date nights because there's no other option. And, <laughs> and But it's been really fun. Um, Parker and I will, and it's not like really pre-planned. It's just like kind of, okay, this day was a lot. We're putting the kids to bed early. And it's been nice because they are going to bed early because they're burn out from the day and you know it's there's just no like, other plans yeah right? there's nothing else to do like we have dinner at 4 45 so we'll just make the kids you know like something like mac and cheese and then we put them down and <laughs> then we do like take out from we've been doing takeout from our favorite sushi place every single time because i'm having a serious problem with craving it and it's so it really is so fun and it changed sometimes like the days have felt like a lot. I think as um, moms, they probably are feeling a lot harder, mm-hmm. I'm sure, for everyone. At least, mm-hmm. I mean, you you get a lot less adult interaction because you're not meeting your friends for play dates and your kids aren't, you know, going to school or their activities. And so it has been a nice mm-hmm. little retreat. That is nice. I think for everybody, honestly, no matter what your situation is, there's in some ways I'm sure that it's harder. Even those who can work from home, they're still now trying to provide for their families mm-hmm. while having kids around. That Ugh. can't be easy for, know. you know, whatever, whoever is like the full working parent or both are working mm-hmm. from home. That's harder. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder. Yeah. And then for those of those people who have to still go out to work, um, it's also like, I know my husband's job, he still has to go, but, but it's way more intense. Like it's a lot totally, more a lot stress and pressure. And those, I mean, I think of like the people who work at grocery stores and healthcare workers right now. Oh my gosh. I mean, they're going to work and work has become a lot harder. So I think almost whatever your situation is, it's, it's probably a little harder yeah. in some ways and maybe easier in some ways too. But yeah. And then you add on the emotion of it and it's kind of exhausting. Yeah. No I think the underlying emotion anxiety is a lot for everybody. Yeah. I sure know my kids are feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my three-year-old is like up to his neat. I don't, I don't know if neediness is the right word, but he's feeling it and he wants me to be with him every second. And I mean, yes. I'm trying to just lean into the need of it. Like you're mm-hmm. feeling, you're feeling, I mean, kids can feel it. Even if it's like social, mm-hmm. there's like this kind of just overlaying cloud of emotion. Yeah, over totally. Everybody. There really is. So anyway. All right, so we kind of, we have a couple things we want to talk about on today's episode, but we are going to do a deep dive into sibling rivalry, our favorite tips, as promised. First, we wanted to touch on a listener question that we got because we feel like it's super relevant and relates to sibling rivalry also. And all of this kind of goes towards, the reason why we chose sibling rivalry for today, because we have a ton of listeners who were saying, all my kids are home now, and wow, it is like, the dragon has been awakened. <laughs> yes. What do we do about these kids and their yes. relationship together yes. when they're all trapped in the same house all day? Right? Yeah, totally. So anyway. Yes, and without their outlets. So this question is from Jocelyn, and she asks uh, to please share tips for quiet time. So she just had a baby, and she said, my three-year-old stopped napping and thinks it's torture to stay in his room and play quietly. Later, she included in her question to me that she just had a baby on a week ago so congrats congrats and i say who as in that's a full that's that's a full play yeah that's a whole nother thrilled who just stopped napping and a brand new newborn yes yes in the middle of a time where you can't go anywhere yes and i know (laughs) she has three kids so i don't know the other one's age okay but yeah wow that's a nice full plate you got there jocelyn (laughs) been there so 
we wanted to talk about um i did not mean to say that i know that some people hate when they say people say oh i see your hands are full oh <laughs> i didn't mean to say it like that jocelyn i'm sorry i'm just saying we're you just were trying acknowledging to say the fullness <laughs> <laughs> we've been there that is a lot that it is, is a, lot. a lot that's true it is you know what that is true i'm not it gonna apologize for that it's true no that is true it's only bad when people say it when you're going through the grocery store and everyone's crying and freaking out. Mm-hmm. And then this nice person all by himself is like, oh, your plate looks pretty full. Like, Thank you. Thank you. Captain Obvious. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your comment. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. So we wanted to talk about, give some of our tips for quiet time. We've We've mentioned these a couple other times, but I think quiet time is so amazing and sacred that it's bears repeating over and over again so um for me my transition into quiet time is when it it like goes straight from their napping time into that is now their quiet time and I think if you can establish that um connection to where it doesn't really matter if you fall asleep or not this is just a time where you are on your own quietly in a space that I have nothing to do with you. (laughs) Yeah. And you're presenting it like a treat. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to sleep anymore in here. Exactly. You can actually just play with your toys in here. It's Mm -hmm. like a special privilege you have now that I'm not forcing you to sleep, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. not trapping you in your crib. You can just stay in here. Anyway. Yes. So it's presented like a treat. That's usually a helpful tip. Yes. And they already have that set up in their schedule, that little chunk. And so I feel like it is a, it is a natural transition. I'm sorry, guys. I kind of have hiccups. They keep stopping me mm-hmm. <laughs> from talking. But it is a natural transition into quiet time that really, not that you then don't have to reinforce it, but it does help. So you're going into that now that he stopped napping. Um, for me, if I can set the parameters, frame it as positive for them. And then also for me, I like to just not overcomplicate it. And just to my kids, I say, you know, you need your own time and I need my own time. And my oldest is super logical. And so for him, the thing that works the best, and I don't know, every kid's different, so you can try different things. But for his understanding, the thing that worked the best was for him to know if I have, if you give mom this time where I can recharge, do the things I need to get done, that equals time with you later time for us to do other things that framing of it really this three-year-old I don't know how three-year-old he is or if that would work for him or if he would not respond to that but for for my eldest that worked really well for him to understand that we all have different things we need to do in the day and if we put those into spaces then we can have time other times together so that worked um and then beyond that I would say just to not interrupt any I wouldn't try to create like say get out all the toys for them to play with in that time or set up an activity because I feel like it's really important and this goes into what we think relates to sibling rivalry and is so relevant right now is we're seeing a lot of kids at home with more time and a lot of us as parents feeling this feeling of uh you know there are 
they're doing things all day at school and I need to recreate that stimulation in my home. And I want you to, for me, the, the thing that has helped the most is to let that go and realize that that is kind of the joy of getting to teach them at home is it doesn't need to be however many hours school is of like these 20 minute activities and on to the next thing. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about homeschooling time is that you can get a lot more done in a lot less time and let other things go. Mm -hmm. And I think that connects to little kids and older kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a couple specific tips for, again, Jocelyn, I'm not sure. And those of you out there who I'm not sure if your three-year-old is your oldest or if there's an older kid after that, but for me, quiet time. So my oldest is 11 and we still do quiet time every single day. And now that my 11 year old is not in school, she knows exactly what happens in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and she now calls it free play. So Mm -hmm. We say free play or quiet time, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And she loves it. She'll actually ask, can we have some free play? So it's something that just never ends. So you can actually implement this with any age kid. But the idea is, is that you get your stuff done, you work in the morning, you eat lunch, and then in the afternoon, you can still have adventures and go outside and you know do whatever you have planned as a family or like we'll do some art or whatever. But I think it's way important to have at least an hour of literally, it's you are not setting what they need to do. Yeah. And for me, there's no screen. I mean, there's no screens, but it's literally they initiate whatever they, they can go into whatever world they want. But for me with my first, so now all my kids know it and it's easy. Like it isn't a fight. Mm -hmm. They all know we all do our own thing, (laughs) do whatever you want. Sometimes they play together, sometimes they don't. Uh, But with my first, these are some tips. So if you guys are saying, but my kid doesn't do that like this one, if they think it's torture to stay in their room and play quietly with my first one, this is what helped. One, a timer. I got a really cute little owl timer that I just wound up and I actually just did 30 minutes at a time. So it wasn't even a full hour because um, 30 minutes was kind of all she could handle at first. And I just do 30 minutes and I'd say to her, now my kids can do quiet time wherever they want in the house. I don't yeah. even care. Yeah. But <laughs> with her, I did want her to stay in her room because there's a baby napping in the other room. And uh, so I had a little timer and I made it, you know, like, this is so cool. This is like our special timer that when the timer goes off, then you can come out. But until then, you have this here. Another idea is I never did this, but when I was reading about quiet time, uh, another option is get a CD player, which, you know, they're like $10 and put it in their room and you can play calming music. So it's like a thing. You go walk in, they can push play, mm-hmm. calming music comes on. They feel cool because they have mm-hmm. this little, you know, kids are with like little devices. Totally. So they're thinking, ooh, mm-hmm. I'm playing this cool music. And then it's set every day. You know what I mean? It comes in, mm-hmm. we play the same song, mm-hmm. it starts, we set the timer. And then whether they have books or for me, I'm, I also agree with Felicia. I don't think this is a time where you come up with a craft, like then you could do this, this, and this, because that's the point of independent play, that you're not doing that. But um, something like magnetiles, like a little box of magnetiles mm-hmm. or blocks mm-hmm. that literally are totally creative, that you don't require supervision, mm-hmm. but that it is a special thing that you pull out for them mm-hmm. at quiet time. Those are all helpful things of mm-hmm. you have this. And the cool thing is once you get used to it, after you get over the initial, like they hate, they're fighting you on it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I never even like, I have to stop free play when we're ready to move on to the next thing. Yeah. They would free play for 10 hours now yeah. at this point. You yeah. know what I mean? Totally. Like they're like, woohoo, they go yeah. off and do their own mm-hmm. things. And then is isn't until I'm like, okay guys, we're going to go on a hike in a half an hour. Yeah. I mean, they could just keep going. Yeah. And yeah they build forts and whatever. Yeah. So the idea is, 
And if you do a tidy after, just then no, you know what I mean? Like we're going to clean up. Yeah. Then it's really, honestly, it's a sanity saver for it really everybody. Is. And I can are, empathize. Sorry to interrupt you. I can empathize with the, when you're first setting the routine, especially if you don't have other, yes, because now my five-year-old and three-year-old, they they already kind of know they go into the routine and they don't have to be in a certain place in the house as long as they're, we do still have a baby napping, so they do have to be quiet if they're inside or they can play outside, but that's like the only parameter, Mm -hmm. but they choose within that. But I can empathize with the, when you're first transitioning, especially if it's your first kid or one that's like having a harder time, it is definitely like a habit creation that you have Mm -hmm. to do. Um, Audiobooks, also worked well for my oldest and it's funny because now he'll ask for an audiobook and you know he'll listen to it for 45 minutes to an hour but then he just carries it around with him like it's like the cd player Mm -hmm. idea like this is my noise during quiet time (laughs) you know like he's playing tons of other stuff but he's like carrying his little audio like the ipad with the handle like audiobook around (laughs) that's cute so audiobooks my my boys have liked those if if i'm trying to get them because i know it is tricky with a a new baby because you do want it to be actually quiet. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when I have a new baby, I've got to have a nap myself Me too. to get through the day because yeah, totally. you're waking up through the night still. Totally. So it is. I mean, I remember a few times like I was crying like, please, seriously, please just quiet. stay away. Yes. But I do have to say, once you've done it with your first couple, yeah, the next ones are a lot easier. Yeah. So and they start to stick crave with it. it. My boys will ask. Yeah. My oldest especially will ask. Yeah. Like, can everyone be quiet now? So, <laughs> yeah, you need it. And everybody's yes. feeling recharged after. It's great. Yep. But that leads us into when you do just let your kids free play, what happens when they start squabbling? Because yes. it happens. It totally Especially does. if you're letting them. With my first two, I actually made them stay in separate rooms. And for them, it was a half an hour timer. And then they come out and play with each other. Mm-hmm. But now I just, whatever you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> fine and they just kind of I found they just kind of go with their own needs if they're Mm -hmm. needing alone time they do just go into their room and Mm -hmm. play and if they're wanting to build a fort together then they do that and I just Mm -hmm. let them Mm -hmm. but it's frustrating because if it's quiet time and there starts to be squabbles that leads us right into what do we do with all these kids (laughs) in the same space when they're wanting to fight because there are times where you're like Ah, everybody just stop you know what I mean yes so we have a few tips we we do not have a magic bullet here but uh, we have some tips that'll hopefully help you navigate the concept of sibling rivalry sibling fighting when they're all together and we reread siblings without rivalry for you guys we have an episode where we talk about this book um and we also have included some of just our tips that we have noticed help with our kids yeah so kind of a breakdown of both yeah so the first my first tip for you with your kids at home together talking about siblings getting along is first let's just change i'm a big fan of reframing how we look at things and to me let's just reframe right here put on our lenses of looking at peer orientation versus family orientation and just revisit this concept because once i revisited it in my mind it actually totally changed how i was looking at how my kids were getting along with each other so uh if you haven't heard us talk about this idea uh the the best book i've read on it is called hold on to your kids uh and we'll link we'll link that one and siblings without rivalry for you in the show notes here, but um, the concept here is that all children are born with a family orientation. They're born, babies obviously are super oriented towards their parents, and even toddlers, I mean, 
Like my little kids think I'm like the best person ever to hang out with. They'd mm-hmm. rather hang out with me than friends any day. But as kids start getting older and starts becoming more part of society, they start caring more about what friends think. And that is normal and natural. However, what's not healthy is if you look at, and I love it because in the book, Hold On To Your Kids, he actually kind of goes throughout history. A lot of societies, it's possible to still have friends but still care the most what your family thinks Mm -hmm. about you because your connection with your family is stronger Mm -hmm. than the connection you have with your friends. So it isn't that we don't value friendships, but it's that we want to maintain that the family relationship is always the strongest. And the benefit of this is if you can maintain a family orientation, even through the teenage years, and he gives many examples of cultures who have still managed to do this, uh, but the idea is then you're still living in a way, so you want your kids to be thinking... I care more about what my parents think here than my than my peers who are trying to get me to drink underage, mm-hmm. right? Like, I want to live to the values that my family has instead of I just only care what my friends think. So the beautiful thing, and anyway, there's lots of tips on how to create a family orientation versus peer orientation. But when you have kids who are peer oriented, which I think here in the West in modern culture, it's very easy to have kids who care way more about what their friends think than their family thinks. And if you if you're if you're hearing me talk about this and you're like oh my gosh yes that's happening mm-hmm. it's happened mm-hmm. this guys this next couple months is a chance where we have to pull our kids back mm-hmm. to family orientation so I'm not saying don't keep connections with your friends of course I'm not saying that yeah let you know like let them have those connections but they actually have to spend a lot more time with you as a family so look at this time of it's going to be a little rough. And there's going to be more squabbles to start with. And even in the most healthy relationships, there's still squabbles. Totally. Healthy relationship doesn't mean no fighting <laughs> yep. or no disagreeing. But you might find at first that it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot handle these people in the same house. Like this mm-hmm. is too much. But if you look at it as this is just a detox period where we are pulling back from peer orienting to literally we're focusing back the center. We want the center of our children's hearts to be at home. Like we share our hearts with each other mm-hmm. and it's a place of love. And if you look at it that way, I've actually found myself like I almost relish in like, you know what? Yeah, they they did fight a lot, especially we've already kind of settled back. I feel like we're now kind of more in a good rhythm. But at first it was like everybody was thrown off because totally. it wasn't our normal schedule and they were in closer quarters than they had been mm-hmm. all year. And mm-hmm. And it was just like, a, for me, it was like, a, you know what? I'm just going to look at this as a detox. Like, this mm-hmm. is great. Totally. It's okay for you to feel this way. This is new. This is different. There's a lot of emotions. But mm-hmm. I'm looking at it as a process of pulling back our hearts into our little family. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way, it actually changes how you view the challenges of this time for yes. me. Yes. So that's my first tip is just look at it through that lens of mm-hmm. we are literally have the opportunity to change from peer orientation to family orientation. Yes. And there's so many benefits if we can manage that, you know? Yeah, and I think it's coming at it from my childhood growing up where I didn't have really a family <clears throat> orientation. I, luckily, I had great friends with good families. Yes. But had I not, I mean, my I was totally peer-oriented, and so anything, I, I saw how, looking back on it, my parents could have said anything they wanted. They had absolutely no control or say because I didn't have, I wasn't oriented to them. I didn't, I wasn't connected. I didn't respect their, what they thought because it's like the, what you put in, what you get is what you get out. Mm -hmm. So it, I think 
if we're looking, if we have little kids, it's hard to think of the future past like they're fighting over the blue car again. But <laughs> looking to the future of what what do we want our kids to be doing? Yeah, when they're faced with big decisions, I hope that they're coming back to me and respecting that connection that we have. So I love to think and of it like that. And sharing themselves with you. Like it sounds like for totally. you, you probably did value what your close friends' parents thought. Totally. Right? Yeah. Like you probably yeah, did exactly. value yeah. their advice mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. approval even. And I think that we want <clears throat> we want to create that with our own children where they are willing to share themselves mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. And this is such a great opportunity to show them, I love you no matter what. Whether you're yep. squabbling, whether you're driving your everybody crazy, like, mm-hmm. I still love you and I'm still here. I'm willing to see you here in your frustration and your sadness. And your. for those of you who have high school kids, I mean, they're mourning a lot right now. Totally. But for you to be able to be there for them in that I am still here and I'm willing to share this with mm-hmm. you. Like, you can show me this. Mm-hmm. And I still love you, even if you're cranky about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I still love you. That's a huge, huge step into, like, pulling back that heart Yep. towards you instead of just facing outwards. Yep, totally. All right, so we are going to share a couple of our favorite little things from Siblings Without Rivalry. Um, the first thing that they talk about in the book that we really like was to be aware of our, the roles and the labels that we are giving to our kids um and it's funny because Carolyn and I were sitting here brainstorming on this episode and it is I think natural in our brains for for our brains to (laughs) put our kids okay this is my responsible one he's my funny one he's more this he's more that and I think we all do this and so I think it's a good reminder to, and I think for myself, I need to set this reminder to re- come back to this often because I think it's something our brains will probably automatically go into. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have our, we definitely have our emotional kid and our easy kid and our happy-go-lucky kid. It's easy just to categorize them like that. Mm-hmm. But instead, if you can switch and just see them as Cohen, as Lennon, your kids, and just see them for who they are instead of, putting that role on their back, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they feel it. And you might think, and they address this in the book, but you might think that, well, what if it's a positive thing? Like responsible right. is good, right. Right? right? Funny is good. Mm-hmm. Easy, good. Like mm-hmm. these are all compliments, mm-hmm. right? But it's the it's the paradox of the pedestal. Like you'd think putting somebody on a pedestal is helpful to them, but really it's actually just limiting because what happens is if you're the responsible one, what about when you drop the ball and you're not mm-hmm. perfect? Mm-hmm. What if you're the smart one and you're not understanding math? You don't feel like you can ask because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be the smart mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. If you're supposed to be the rock of the family, what happens when you feel like you want to break down and cry? Mm-hmm. So really, we think we're helping them by giving them these even the positive roles. I mean, mm-hmm. we obviously know that saying somebody you're the difficult child that's not helpful for anybody (laughs) right although as I say that I have heard I actually hear all the time like you know what I've actually heard it in front of the kid yeah he's my hardest he's the hard one yeah oh yeah and it like makes me so sad like I I like want to cry like don't say that I know because I mean so anyway but even but even the good what I'm saying is even the good roles though yes yeah they're still limiting for kids and still end up making them try to live up to something that 
it doesn't allow them to actually feel mm-hmm. whatever their other emotions are. Mm-hmm. Or what if the funny one wants to be really good at math? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. So yeah. I think if we can just, I love it just to change it to their names. Mm-hmm. You know what? You are my Sally. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that is who you are. Mm-hmm. And what makes you special to me is that you are you. That's yeah. actually what makes you special. Mm-hmm. It isn't that you're a math prodigy. Mm-hmm. It's that you are you. Mm-hmm. And that allows them to be a math prodigy if they want to be a math prodigy mm-hmm. or if they have the, you know, you're obviously still supporting them in all their things. But just a good reminder not to like put kids into roles and like force them into those. Totally. I think is so, so, so helpful. And really, even the oldest, middle, youngest role, I, I think sometimes for me, I, as I read this, I was like, and guys, I've already read this before, but I was <laughs> seriously feeling like I do this mm-hmm. to my oldest. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta pull the load mm-hmm. here with me because mm-hmm. clearly my three-year-old isn't, you know what I mean? Literally, I need you to wipe your own bum because I have too many other bums. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having them obviously be age appropriately responsible right. for things, but that it also, I need to be aware that am I, am I asking less of my younger kids mm-hmm. than I did her at her age? Mm-hmm. Totally. Be aware of that. And mm-hmm. am I also putting too much pressure on her? Because I have younger ones. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think just totally. being aware of that is huge because mm-hmm. I don't want her to grow up and feel like, you made me do stuff. I mean, obviously, there are differences in roles, as I'm saying this. Of course, there's no way to make it fair isn't even a word that right. works, right. <laughs> really, right. or equal even, mm-hmm. but just that you're valuing them for each who they are, and you're trying your best to treat them as their own person, not yeah. just where they fit into your family. I yeah. think just being aware of that is really, yeah. really huge in helping mm-hmm. mitigate the concept of sibling rivalry. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of start looking at them as their own, just their own little selves, then I think that's going to help. Yeah. And that being said, and in, in related is something that I was thinking about that is not in siblings without rivalry, but um, I find that if I can recognize first inside myself what those things that I'm kind of putting on the different kids um being aware of that and then also if I can acknowledge the challenge of what their challenge is as the siblings they are so for me if I can have like a talk with Cohen that you know not necessarily and this is the whole thing of I'm not labeling him as you're so responsible you're our responsible one so this has been really hard but just acknowledging his unique challenges I see so much he he sees my empathy if I can feel that before and then say to him I really do I see like today you you know you didn't push the baby when he just destroyed your entire magnetile tower and that made you really sad if I can acknowledge those challenges because sometimes I think as a parent or as adults we get in this like just get over it some stuff with kids the kids stuff but then if you step back and realize that's their whole entire life that magnetile tower that's what that's all they did today that's what they made you know and they're living presently so to them yeah it's huge that's all there is yeah magnetile castle yeah exactly (laughs) so if I can if I can acknowledge kid life and the th- their unique struggles, I I really, I've seen a lot of softening in my kids when I do that. So it doesn't mean, I don't know, not acknowledging the role doesn't mean that you can't 
see maybe the things they are better at or good at and but it's just not forcing them into those roles and you're specifically this is our second tip so the first tip was you know roles the second tip is reacting with empathy which is what felicia is talking about here the idea here is you can you can recognize a circumstance without Mm -hmm. putting somebody in a box or a role yeah so in her example it was wow i noticed you were really frustrated when your little brother knocked over your magnetile castle yeah that's hard when mm-hmm. somebody smaller than you does that, right? Yeah. Or whatever. You're you're pointing out the circumstance, giving empathy to that without saying, you never knock over people's castles because you're so much better than your yeah. brother. You know you're what I mean? Big like, now and- <laughs> like, you're not actually having to put them in the role. You're just, you're literally just empathizing with a certain circumstance. And I don't think you can ever go wrong with empathizing with a circumstance. Mm-hmm. Then you're not trying to do the elevate one to push down mm-hmm. the other thing. You're literally just saying, wow, you know what? That is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I saw that when he did that, when he threw that ball and it hit you in the face, that really hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I see that, mm-hmm. that it hurt. Yep. And even if they freaked out and threw the ball back, you're literally just recognizing that it didn't feel good to him. Yep. The ball at the face. Yep. And you felt a lot of anger, obviously, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you threw the ball back. You know what I mean? Yes. But I don't think you can ever go wrong with simply empathizing what somebody's feeling. Totally. I think that if you are wondering when your kids are fighting, like what default, a default response, I think listening and echoing back Really, so some examples from the book that I I like these to just hear them, but, you know, it's really hard to have a baby who's taking up all my time. And it's just that. You you think your brother's just tapping you on your foot to annoy you. You know, you're just identifying what they're feeling and verbalizing it back. So you sound mad. Did your brother do something that made you mad? You're just acknowledging their feelings. You're not trying to fix it. You're not... Um, denying their feelings or making them feel irrational for having those feelings. It's just that recognizing. And I think eight out of 10 times, just that acknowledgement and repeating it back, what's going on, uh, lets your kids feel like she sees me. She sees the situation. Mm -hmm. She feels like, or he, whoever, our caregiver feels like it's valid. Mm -hmm. And also, I think without trying to solve it it puts the trust in them that this is it's normal to have those feelings it's okay and you guys will figure you know like i feel like it gives them that feeling that they can they can figure it out and it's okay it's not like this big gigantic problem Mm -hmm. and even with the things that kind of worry you on the inside like uh (laughs) first visit with babies you know a lot of older kids will say you know i wish you could just send the baby back Mm -hmm. like can we Mm -hmm. can we take the baby back to the hospital Mm -hmm. and i think as parents we have this really strong feeling inside of us that's like no but you must love this baby Mm -hmm. and i think being willing to see even the ugly feelings inside somebody and say something like you wish the baby would just disappear is that Mm -hmm. what you're saying Mm -hmm. oh i hear you Mm -hmm. the baby's going to stay Mm -hmm. right like you know i'm not gonna follow through with <laughs> making that wish come true but the baby's staying but i just want you to know that i hear you you don't want the baby here anymore mm, yeah and i just hear you you're not what you're telling the child is i'm not afraid of your feelings yeah. right like and i don't think you're bad because you don't want the baby here anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i just see you and i hear you and i love you so much you're just yeah. validating that you're hearing them yeah and it's i think much uh, it's so healthy compared to 
inside of us, when I hear those words, I do think I have a fear of like, well, what if they never get along? And of course you got to love this baby because I love this baby, blah, blah, blah. Like all these feelings come into my mind. I want to justify it and I want to convince them Mm -hmm. somehow that they have to love this baby. But, um, but that just makes it worse because you're just saying, I don't hear you and what you're feeling is wrong. And lots of times that gets internalized as I'm bad. Totally. I'm bad because I don't love this baby like everybody else loves this baby. Yep. I'm bad. I'm wrong. I just, yeah, Yeah, totally. Even as I say that, I'm thinking of my older kids because I don't have a baby anymore. But I, I, it's like inspiring me. I actually really need to make sure, even with my older kids, when they're really bugged by the younger ones and they don't want to be with them anymore, am I guilting them into, you must love every second Mm -hmm. with your sibling because you guys are best (laughs) friends, right? Yes. You know, instead just like, oh, I see. That was really frustrating for you. Mm -hmm. You feel like you just need some alone. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You need some alone time. Mm -hmm. I can see that you're asking for alone time. Like, I I get that. I see Mm -hmm. you. So Mm -hmm. this applies to older kids as well. Totally. I agree. And I think when that next level comes where, at least for my boys, when, you know, the babies are little and they're turning it physical can also be another trigger for parents so we're going to take a break and we're going to talk about those when you're turning into more the physical the verbal attacks the fighting we're going to talk about that after the break look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so going into, I think, probably one of the more triggering things for us as parents, the physical and verbal attacks that inevitably happen with our kids. Um, What can we do when our kids are actually attacking each other, fighting? Um, And I think for me, the, the most helpful approach is to hopefully you know, they probably will land some hits and punches, but to stop and not allow, so we can allow feelings, but not hurting actions. In our house, that means both physical and verbal attacks. So I'm not just going to go off, you stupid idiot, baby butt, whatever, you know, kids come up with. Um, You bad baby. (laughs) That's my favorite that Cohen says. Bad baby. bad baby. Oh, that hasn't happened for a long time. I'm but he says it to adults, and it's hilarious. Oh. You can't even, like, I try <laughs> so hard even. not to laugh. <laughs> you bad baby. It's so funny. It's so funny. We can't laugh. Um, so, for me, I, I got a swift um, lesson in this with 
when I went from one to two kids. Cohen was super physical with Lenny, our second, and it was his showing of, I wish the baby would disappear. He did not say it. He physically (laughs) showed it. (laughs) And it was really hard as a parent to not think, great, my kid is just some aggressive kid who is going to just be fighting for the rest of his life and mean to babies. And, he, you know, you go down the spiral. And I think the thing that helped me the most was that empathy of you are showing your, your anger, your jealous, your, all, your feelings, you're showing them through pushing the baby over and empathizing really with him of, that makes sense. Like he just took over your whole entire life. And I think this happens a lot more with first kids because they've never had any other situation, but you and them. They're being dethroned. Yes. And so um, I think just for me, if I see the fighting happen, it's to say something like, wow, you look really mad. I'm not going to let you hit. And that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much, you know, where I leave it at. Mm-hmm. Now that my kids and are... And you can move the baby to a safe place. Right. So it's, right. with babies, it's really great because you can literally mm-hmm. just move them into a place where the other child can't yeah. <laughs> get to them. And I've said this before, but when Len was little, it was like such a thing. And I knew, I knew when it was during free play, it was once Lenny was old enough to sit up and Cohen is just move, would just go and just push him over backwards onto his head you know what I mean mm-hmm. I knew I think as parents a lot of times it's a recurring thing we know and they're for like one to two weeks I just didn't put them in that situation I would either have Len by me or put him in the sling or opposite like have Cohen helping me cook dinner because usually during that like dinner time free play mm-hmm. <clears throat> and just remove the situation entirely if you can is huge if you know when you go to the park and you're talking to your friends your kid is the one who's going to go over and like push someone off the slide stairs if you know that situation mm-hmm. how can you remove it completely because right we're trying to protect our kids from doing those things because they don't really want to do them mm-hmm. they're acting out of emotion mm-hmm. um that's really helpful for with little kids for me um and then also i think another tip for the little kids with anything physical is trying not to repeat over and over again like the you know especially trying not to say things like that's so mean or especially you're mean for hitting or hitting is mean or anything where it's like I'm trying to teach them a lesson in the moment where they're angry that we don't hit because it's mean, it's not nice. They already know. And I think it's, it's like, to, it overcomplicates it a little bit. And they're not in the mind frame to really be learning those lessons to at that feedback. time. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, we're all, when we're mad and someone's like, calm down, that's not, you're kind of like, really? Mm-hmm. That's really bugging me. I think kids feel the same way. So if you can just redirect and use later as a teaching time, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but... For me, as my kids have gotten older, something that really works, and I think with boys, even a little more, they go first to their bodies for responses. So punching, hitting, throwing, taking stuff when they want it. And I'm sure girls too. But for me, something that's really worked is to remind them to use their, I would say, 
Use your brain first. It's harder. But instead of when you want a toy, just grabbing it, because that situation never really works out. If I can encourage them to ask first or anything where it's like put your thinking first and your voice first to explain it, that has worked as my kids have gotten older. This doesn't work with little kids because they don't even have that ability yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going into that four, you know, Cohen's five. So that's as far as I've gotten. But it really works for that four to five year old age if to encourage that when you're teaching them what's a better way to react has really helped. Mm -hmm. I like that. Uh, my last two tips for just the concept of when you have your kids just fighting uh, physically is one, uh, I think it's always good to address the hurt child first. In fact, have the focus beyond whoever got hurt. Mm-hmm. So instead of jumping in and saying, you're so mean, why'd you hit? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Instead, because they're still getting attention for that hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the hit actually happens, again, you've tried to, you're trying to stop it, all that things before. But once it does happen, uh, I think going to the child who got hurt first and saying, oh, look, I see. I mean, not like overly like, oh, you poor thing, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But just simply addressing with empathy. Mm-hmm. That looked like it really hurt. Mm-hmm. Can I see your hand? Do you mm-hmm. need a Band-Aid? Whatever. Mm-hmm. With calmness and kindness. Again, not overdoing it, but just em- kind empathy. I think that shows the aggressor that, first of all, you don't get more attention. Mm-hmm. for. So they're not going to start doing it to get attention. Because, right, negative attention is still attention. Mm-hmm. But that also, that their actions do can hurt people. So you're mm-hmm. allowing them to see you're allowing them to see they hurt the, the cause without lathering on guilt mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Just simply acknowledging, mm-hmm. oh, there is hurt here. Let's look at that first. Mm-hmm. And I always like to ask my kids, is there anything you think that we can do to help this, mm-hmm. you know, to help your brother? And sometimes they'll offer, sometimes if their feelings are also hurt, because we know that when you hurt somebody else, it hurts you too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they're crying, so, you know, they're not in the place to go get an ice pack. But there are mm-hmm. other times where my kids have been like, oh, I'll go get a Band-Aid or an ice pack mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful because then you're teaching them that they have a, not only can their actions hurt people, but their actions can also help people yeah. uh, get better. So that's one tip. And then the other one is, this one's directly from the book, uh, but if you're having, like, there's a lot of emotions, sometimes you can teach your kids, like, have some crayons and paper and say, I can see you're so mad. Can you draw how mad you feel? And they mm-hmm. can just start, like, scribbling <laughs> on the page. I've actually never done this, but I like it as a tip because I feel like if you actually got in the habit of it, you could have, like, a whole... Like, they can bring you a picture. When you're really mad about something, draw me a picture of that Mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. And as they draw it, they're getting it out, right? Like, Mm -hmm. wow, you use black. Mm -hmm. And your lines are really dark. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I actually think I'm going to pull that into, specifically with my younger two, I think I'm going to try that because Mm -hmm. it's such a nice way for them to process it instead Mm -hmm. of the only way I know to get this out is by punching my brother. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, totally. And I think on the same lines of that tip, something that has helped with my boys is... Yeah, redirecting that physical, like, do you, if you want to, do you want to go, you know, punch a pillow or run really fast or, because we all know when we're angry, it's like that, it is like a physical feeling of like, this has to come out. Do you need to like, let out a big lion roar? Do you know what I mean? Like to get it out. And I think that Mm -hmm. redirecting really helps. And I think going into, so our last tips are for kind of so I feel like more of those physical attacks happen with a little bit 
younger kids. But then obviously, they're still going to be fighting as your kids get older, even if that's not um, always, you know, pushing the baby over. The fighting continues. Um, And I think when Terlin was talking about addressing the child who is hurt, I think this ties directly into if we can give our kids space to work it out themselves, it creates um, this feeling of trust that we trust them to make the right decisions. Um, But also, so in, I think in so many fighting situations, some dynamic has been going on within their play where it's, we might see that last punch from the kid, but we haven't seen all the lead up. And I think if we go straight into like, I saw you punch him. We, you know, that is so mean. We don't do that. Say sorry right now. It kind of diminishes for the other kid. Maybe the other sibling hasn't like hurt him, but maybe they've been torturing them for the last hour doing something. We have all provoking, you know, we've all been kids. We know the things they do. We don't know. And I think it, if you can remove yourself from being that judge of the situation, it's so freeing because we don't know, but we can address both of their, both things that hurt them. We can, you know, one of my favorite things, and this comes from Janet Lansbury, but she calls it sports casting, but it's basically repeating back what both sides are saying without taking sides at all. So we're not denying their feelings. We're not giving advice right then. We're not trying to reassure them with logic that it's fine. We can just build back up the magnetizers. Don't cry about it. Da, 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 da. We're acknowledging the feelings right there that they're feeling on both sides and we're not placing blame. Mm-hmm. I think it's so nice, one, as a parent, because you're removing yourself from being the judge and the jury over the situation and who has to do what and who was wrong. And it's just remove yourself. It's quite freeing. Mm-hmm. I like to, with my kids, I'll say, because um, I think it's exhausting to always have them t- be telling you the th- everything that's happening with every fight. But there's sometimes where it's like, you're, you're both feeling a lot. Each tell me, but no interrupting. So one mm-hmm. person tell me, mm-hmm. and the other person tell me, and I just repeat back what you're saying. And all I, I actually only repeat back what they're feeling. So I can see you feel really, really upset about that. Mm-hmm. Then the other person says it. And I say, oh, I see you're really feeling jealous over that. So they both know that I've acknowledged what they felt. Mm-hmm. And then I say, can you think of a solution? That's a tricky, you know, Yeah. I can see how that's a tricky situation. Can you think of a solution? Sometimes they're mad enough that they can't. And I can suggest something like uh, maybe some time apart would be mm-hmm. the best option. What do yeah. you guys think? Mm-hmm. However, if they can come up with their own, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love it when they're like, mm-hmm. you know what? Let's take a break from mm-hmm. this game or whatever totally. it is. So oftentimes, yeah, j- literally reflectively listening back what they're feeling mm-hmm. Just the feeling. You can listen to the whole story and just say what they're feeling back. Yeah. That's kind of liberating, right? Yeah. And then asking them if they can think of a way to solve it is super helpful. And it shows and it shows them that you're not actually a referee they have to come to for every single little thing. Mm-hmm. I I never tell my kids I don't want to hear it, mm-hmm. ever. Because mm-hmm. I, I want them to be able to share anything with me mm-hmm. all the time. But if they know that I'm not going to come in and be like on every little imaginary toy dispute (laughs) and be like yes I will fix this if Mm -hmm. I just tell them what they felt and ask them how they can solve it they learn pretty quick that like if they have some emotion they want to share with me great or Mm -hmm. if something bad's happening totally Mm -hmm. tell me but like they don't get a lot of 
I will just come in and fix Solve. the whole thing yeah. every time for them. Yeah. So it, it it's never overwhelming because they're never coming too much. You totally. know what I mean? Totally. So I think it's really liberating. Just that little step right there is game changing. Yep. Acknowledge the feelings. Ask them what they can think of to solve it. Suggest them a part if needed. Always be there as an ear to listen to them, but not as a referee. Yeah. Because being a referee is exhausting. Oh, my gosh. And frankly, there's sometimes where I'm like, this is an imaginary game. Why are we fighting over whether the unicorn can fly or not? <laughs> like, it's in your own, you know what I mean? Like, it's in your brain. It's imaginary. <laughs> yes. So I'm not going to referee whether the unicorn has the power to fly. You yes, know what I mean? Totally. Like, do you ever feel like that? Yes, totally. But if you realize you don't actually have to make the imaginary rules, that's not your job. You can yep. just say, wow, I can see you really want that unicorn to fly and you don't. That sounds really mm-hmm. frustrating. Is there a solution? <laughs> Great. You, you can know? Think of it. Like, yep. You know? yep. Totally. And I think on that note, so when you're, uh, sometimes I think as adults, we feel like, but oh no, if I don't address the fact that this teaching situation right now like you feel that bubbling up as a parent like we all want to teach our kids how to be kind empathetic not hit and punch each other but it doesn't really work in the moment because everybody's emotions are too high and it's not helpful but i i do like to if i see a recurring situation i like to you know, later in a one-on-one time or in a time when people are calm or even if I see situations happening, this actually happens a lot where we're reading a book and it's kind of a example of a situation that happens in kid life or play or whatever. You can teach later and I think that's really great and I think that's our job. It's hard. I wouldn't, so you don't have to just say, well, great, I'm just gonna let my kids punch each other and I'm never gonna teach them how to be nice. No, you are, and they know because of your example, and you can take the time to teach in later situations, but in the moment, it just, it almost never really works, yeah. at least for me. <laughs> yeah, you're setting physical limits in the moment, and you're showing right. by the way you put your attention, what values, right. but you're talking about like the moralizing of it, right? like the long discussion of why is it that we, why why do we avoid hitting? Mm-hmm. That kind of like longer conversation that has morals in it and stuff is a good time during like a replay later. Yeah. Like, so now everybody's calm. We're all using our thinking brains now. Mm-hmm. So I noticed this morning yeah. when you were playing with John, he, and you knocked off your blocks, and when you picked up that block and you, you know, you hit him and that really hurt him. You can talk about that, how. Yeah. The reason, what could we have done instead? Yeah. What or? could we have, that's, that's the best way I think. Yeah. What would be a different option? If you knocked over your blocks, let's play it over in our minds, and you're mm-hmm. actually creating neural pathways. The cool thing about the replay concept is you're creating neural pathways, so when that same thing happens, they've actually already gone through it in their mind. Mm-hmm. So next time if you're building something, first of all, is there something else we could do? Could you build up on a table where he can't reach it? Yeah. That would be a solution. Yeah. Or when he does knock it over, what's something else you could do? Can you squeeze your fists together mm-hmm. and just like do a yell instead mm-hmm. of a hit? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there are mm-hmm. steps back. Can mm-hmm. you whatever your thing is, mm-hmm. but like having them walk through. So what do you think a solution is? And mm-hmm. it's actually kind of cute sometimes, the solutions they come up with. Yeah. But those, yeah, I agree. Those conversations are times for replays later. Yeah, totally. During the moment, it's keep people safe, mm-hmm. set set limits, and by where you put your attention, avoid shaming mm-hmm. by calling somebody mean or that they're mm-hmm. bad, and then have the longer conversations later. Yep. I love it. All right, our last tip, and I feel like it's the one that hits the heart the most as a parent is, <laughs> at least when I was listening to this book, mm-hmm. is to avoid comparison. Um, kind of 
similar to avoiding putting your children in roles, but, you know, it's just that feeling of loving each kid uniquely in terms of their needs and not trying to be equal. Um, And so this is just like a simple example, but I feel like this is something that happens all the time, but at our house at least is around food. So you give one kid one pancake and their pancake is bigger and I, oh, now they have two and I want two pancakes. And it's, I feel like that happens all the time at my house and it's our tendency as logical adults to say, (laughs) you both have two pancakes. There's more pancakes in the pan. We can make more pancakes. You know, it's all those logical things. But um, so in Siblings Without Rivalry, I just love this, is just turning it back and looking at that individual kid. Oh, I hear you. Are you still hungry? Would you like more pancakes? So it's turning them back to their own need instead of focusing, because it is a tendency as an adult to be like, you all have three. They're all the same shape. I use the one fourth measuring thing. They're all the same. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like to go logical. But for the kids, it's, it's not really logical in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. So you're not comparing at all to any of the other kids. It's just, oh, are you still hungry? Then I can get you more. Yeah. Do you want my kids, oh, what's like the milk in a glass? <laughs> Their glass is one centimeter more full than my glass. And yeah, I actually, it is very helpful to be like, okay, so in your belly, you drink that glass and let me know if you want more because I have a whole carton mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. to pour in. Yep. And I just actually ignore that Yeah, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's yep. just when you just turn it back just to them of, oh, I have so much. I have plenty of milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does your belly need more? Because if mm-hmm. so, show me. Like, drink it and yeah. let me know. Yeah. If you want more, you can totally have more. Totally. But it doesn't have – and I think this, this concept, guys, frankly, I think we are helping our kids with a whole lifelong skill because – I find myself, I mean, I remember it was probably the most I felt it as a teenager, and I hate the feeling of, I remember feeling like, and I can identify in my mind, and it bothered me, but like with somebody I felt like was prettier than me, or better at something than me, or smarter, I felt like it somehow diminished me. And I remember recognizing that and being like, but I actually like this person, Mm -hmm. but I kind of feel mad that they were so successful at that test, you know? It's weird. And I remember being like, I hate this feeling. What can I do differently? And honestly, it's just like everything. You acknowledge it. It's pride, right? It's putting people above or below us mm-hmm. and telling myself that other people's successes doesn't take away from my own yeah. and other people's greatness doesn't take away from my own either. And that's easier said than done, though. Even though I understood that intellectually in my mind, I still felt it quite deeply totally. as a teenager. And I feel like as I've grown, I feel it far less. But there are still times where I get a little ping of it, like, ooh. And it usually shows up as jealousy, like, oh, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that same feeling. Mm -hmm. And I try to just recognize it and say, so that's showing me something that's important to me. Obviously, that Mm -hmm. person being really successful at that shows that that thing, writing, is important to me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to focus on my own writing because it's about me and my journey. Their journey does not take away from my journey. And I actually have to still walk myself through that sometimes when I have those feelings come up. Mm -hmm. So with our own children they're naturally going to do that, right? When you compliment one, they're going to feel like it's taking away from them, the other person. And I think, so things we can do as parents to help kind of 
help teach them this and help avoid resentment is first of all, I think the best compliments are one-on-one compliments. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about a specific thing, like you have worked so hard at the piano Mm -hmm. and I love listening to you play. That is a way meaningful comment one-on-one. If I say that in front of the whole group, the one who isn't practicing as much is going to feel like I'm insulting that person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think anytime you have praise, frankly, or criticism, I think those are really great one-on-one things. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think this. I love descriptive praise to the group. Like as you're passing by, wow, you guys are playing so nicely together. Whatever task you see that they're doing that you appreciate, wow, you are using your kind voice even though your castle got broken, whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. like just descriptively praising that, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that in a group, recognizing tasks that are going well. But when it comes to like truly deep down your core, mm-hmm. I think if you can do those, the most meaningful place for them, I think is one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But also I think uh, the, in the book, they gave all these examples and I literally just, I mean, it was two weeks ago, I saw a mom do this exact same thing. And this sounds, I'm not using this just so you know, I'm not saying this, I'm using this as just an example, not from a place of judgment. Um, but it was like almost exactly what they said in the book. And that is, there was one girl who was good at dance and she, she was like, the mother was telling me, my oldest is really great at dance. My younger one likes dance, but she's just not as good. So mm-hmm. we're not going to let her take the same lessons that my older one mm-hmm. is because she's just not as good. Mm-hmm. It's not like as much of a talent. And in this book, they actually give like example after example after example of piano, violin, mm-hmm. soccer, whatever the thing is. Beautiful hair. Yeah, beautiful hair. <laughs> it doesn't even matter, yeah. That whatever the thing is, all that matters is your journey in it. So just because your sister is really great at the piano doesn't mean I'm going to take away your chance to play the piano. And mm-hmm. if you say, I shouldn't play the piano because, you know, my, my sister is so much better, you say, we have you play the piano because it's about your heart mm-hmm. and your mind mm-hmm. and your journey with music. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with your sister's journey with music, mm-hmm. just your journey. Mm-hmm. And I actually find myself sometimes I have the impulse to say things to my children like, thank you so much for cleaning up today when I asked. I only asked one time and you just did it. Mm-hmm. I should just leave it there. But guess what my impulse is to do? And I am sad to say I do this sometimes. Yes, I'll say... And none of your other siblings did that. Did you yeah. see? I had to cajole them yes. <laughs> and I had to ask 20 times. So I feel like in my mind, I'm building you up, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm actually insulting your siblings. But just leaving out the insulting of the siblings is the best way to go. Just because focus on when that. you le- mm-hmm. when you put that insult in, it feels like you're building the person up, right? But what you're teaching them is just what I was telling you about, that high school feeling of... Mm-hmm. Pushing other people down is not a requirement in pulling yourself up. Mm-hmm. In fact, it has nothing to do with it. It actually does the opposite. Mm-hmm. So literally, if you're going to compliment your kid, try to avoid the comparison, even in the compliment. And it's so hard. Of, yeah. I notice you are so good at doing your homework, and your sister, have you noticed? She does not. Mm-hmm. So thank you for mm-hmm. being the one person I can depend on to do homework. Yeah. Doing homework is a compliment. Yeah. You don't have to push down the sister. Yeah. Even though the sister's not there, yeah. the pushing down isn't helpful. And yeah. In fact, it's hurtful to their relationship. Mm-hmm. And just teaching them more, the pushing down other people is required to build yourself up. Yes. So simply a compliment of, thank you so much for doing your homework every day without mm-hmm. me asking. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that so much in you. 
thank you for being, you know, thank you for working so hard. Just leave it right there totally. and don't say, and maybe nobody else feels this, but I feel it. I do feel oh, the yeah. need to be like, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just helping this compliment totally. by pointing out that you're better yeah. than your sibling yeah. at this. Yeah, totally. But it's not. Just leave that yeah. out. Leave the comparison out, the positive mm-hmm. or the negative. Because mm-hmm. we all know that, of course, telling a kid, why can't you be more like your sister and just do your homework? We all know that that's not right. good. But I think some of us think, well... But what about when we're saying that they're better than their sibling? Isn't that okay? Right. But it's not. Like, they're yep. both harmful. Both ways are harmful. Mm-hmm. So I, like, totally hits home for me. And even yep. though I've read this book and I totally feel, like, passionate about it, I still yep. can think of ways that I do totally. do that. And and the idea of being fair versus equal, just to touch on that, my oldest daughter has a big issue with, like, if I'm going to – if we're going to take tumbling together, she doesn't like it because she's like, I'm starting when I'm nine – like we've literally had this conversation a bajillion <laughs> times. I start telling when I'm nine, so it's not fair that she's starting when she's seven because you didn't start me when I was seven. Because mm-hmm. other things, like for example, in our family, we start music lessons when they're seven. Mm-hmm. So that would be considered fair, right? Mm-hmm. But in this situation, I didn't think about tumbling until now. Like mm-hmm. I'm literally, so it's either, <laughs> but we're taking it together. Like I'm actually taking it with them. Right. So there, that is a difficult thing to mm-hmm. explain that like we are all on our different journeys and I'm doing my best mm-hmm. to make things but there are times where we're going to learn something and we're all learning at the same time and yeah it's not exactly fair totally but there's also benefits to being <clears throat> the oldest like you got to do things that she you know what I mean totally but I can't it can't be like a tally mark and totally. as I say this we've had this conversation and I'm still not sure what the answer is besides having the conversation because it's still an issue sometimes yeah well I think that that you feel that as a kid no matter what. And I think that if that's where if we can establish that all of our kids are unique and we love them all uniquely, hopefully, I think I think kids are always going to compare. Even if you say, Cohen, thank you for putting your plate in the sink. You know, the other one's still going to think, well, I'm going to put mine in the sink. You know, like they already create those comparisons on their own. But if coming from us, we can have as much non-comparison as possible and as much unique love towards each one differently, hopefully that like fairness, are we being equal thing will even out. But it might just be a kid thing that always, always happens with siblings, but at least it's not, it can be not coming from us Yeah, because it's so hard. Yeah. And I found that, myself doing that. And time. that example that you gave, I love it because that isn't like a, you're not pushing anybody down. You're just acknowledging, thank you so much for putting your dish in the sink. Right. In that situation, it's really a positive thing of if it's making your other kids put their <laughs> dish in the exactly. sink, make sure you thank them yeah. also. Right. But you know what I mean? Yeah. You can do that without saying, thank you for being the only person here <laughs> who is putting their <laughs> dish in the sink. You know what Seriously, I mean? Like those two things say. are different. So I love yeah. it because what you're saying is the one way they might or may not compare in their mind and we can't right. control that. It might be a positive thing mm-hmm. that you can then thank everybody for, but there is a difference between that and sometimes when I'm feeling frustrated, I do come out with something like that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being the only person yeah. here who even noticed <laughs> that I've been cleaning for an hour. You know, whatever. <laughs> totally. You can just avoid that. Totally. And just say the simple things, and I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot healthier. Well, that's going to be my focus this uh, this week here. This week of quarantine. Now that we've talked about it. Not doing roles, so to review the tips, they're not... Not like limiting our children, giving them specific roles that we're having to hold them to. Uh, react with empathy. Redirect physical and verbal attacks. 
and avoid comparison. Mm-hmm. So those are our five tips. My focus for the week is going to definitely be the avoiding comparison. Me as well. That's- and I just wanted to wrap up because it's so relevant right now with telling you guys that we're all this whole having our kids trying to be their teacher and their mom and all the things and their friends right now and everything is hard. And just I've seen a lot of people feeling like I can't do it all. It's overwhelming trying to make school at home and all these things and and working from home at the same time. Working like a lot of and, you guys oh are balancing gosh. careers, food, yes, teaching, and being an emotional safe space. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot. That's a of lot giant of things. Roles. Yes. So I just want you guys to know that one, you're all doing amazing, and if I can give you any tips, and this is going to myself too, is to just breathe and let. You know, let what your kids do organically be enough. Don't feel like you have to replace what they're doing with activities or play or create school or be all of those roles as they are normally because I I don't think it's helpful and I think it's a spiral (laughs) down. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us and I hope this was helpful. Let's find the magic. Brown cows.